0: Good morning. Well, if you follow the lectionary, as so many do, you would know that the lessons that were appointed today were going to be lessons from proper 17, 17 Sundays after Pentecost, and it would not have included the readings that you have before you. Because we're in year B, we're reading Mark. And clearly, this morning's readings are different, and the Gospel is from Luke. Now, why is that? It is because the Feast of the Transfiguration was Friday. And it's one of the principal feast days of the year in the Episcopal Church when the Feast of the Transfiguration readings take precedence over the Sunday readings. Thus, we have the readings before us this morning. So welcome to the mountaintop with Jesus. It was January 1987 when I first made my way to Rome, home to Mother Church, to Vatican City, and to a pilgrimage that would unfold in ways only too miraculous to anticipate. It had been a hellacious year. All of the previous 24 months had me in the grip of depression, hopelessness, and fear. So much of the state of my heart had to do with the loss of trust and faith in the institutional church. And to also be honest, it had to do with the total disintegration of my marriage. I had only and always turned to the church for the comfort, forgiveness, and assurance of faith that, indeed, that although death is real, so too would be resurrection. Frankly, I just didn't see it. I certainly couldn't feel it. And I so desperately wanted, but couldn't trust it. It was dark, and the possibility of light entering in, well, that just didn't... Seem possible. Every time I went to church, every time I tried, and I did try to find a glimpse of hope, I felt as if a tsunami of grief would upend me as I lay drowning in that grief, in my pain, and my total sense of disorientation. I had no idea where I was going, let alone where I was in the moment. What I began to feel deep inside of me—and I didn't understand it then— but what I did pay attention to is this profound sense and need to go home. Go home to Mother Church. To Rome. Because somewhere deep within me, I had to go home in order to leave Rome. I had to lay in the bosom of that church. Mother Church, and to wail and to grieve the leave-taking that I knew was my only hope to heal, and to not walk away from my Catholic faith, but toward my Catholic faith, that it would uphold me through the abyss, through the unrelenting dark night of the soul, into the very light of new faith, new hope, and a new life. And so with four other pilgrims who were deeply grieving losses in their own lives from which they did not believe they would recover either, we made a pilgrimage to Rome. Now, I could go on and on about the ways in which that pilgrimage terrified me. All the unknowns, the letting goes, the tears that I, did not easily shed, and the wailing that would take my breath away. My prayer, however, the only one I could utter was this. Please, Jesus, help me find my way. Help me find my way back to you. It is as simple and as profound a prayer that I have ever prayed. It was as nakedly vulnerable and as truthful as I had ever been. In so many ways, it felt like it was the end, the end of a lot of familiar ways of being and identifying in my life. It was the end. And only by the grace of the divine, it became the beginning. It was facing death head-on, and it was groping in the darkness to find the light, the light and love once again of Jesus in my life. It was about me in those moments. It had to be, as there was so little left of me, or so I thought. But there was this light and this love, even though I couldn't feel it or acknowledge it, that beckoned me on. Today, in the lessons appointed for the Feast of the Transfiguration, transferred from Friday, we encounter two awesome stories of Scripture. The first is from the Book of Exodus, and describes Moses coming down the mount, having come face to face with God, something that he believed in his own life would only end in death. Quite the contrary happened, though. As Moses finds his way down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, we are told that all the Israelites could see was that the skin of his face was shining, beaming, really. It was an intense, outward sign of something that was happening deep within Moses. Moses' own being, being that transformed and transfigured place of having been so close, so intimate with his God, and everyone could observe it. In Rome, I had the privilege of visiting another basilica, San Pietro in Vicoli. In it, Michelangelo's masterpiece of Moses is found. This sculpture was intended as a part of an enormous sculpture that he was commissioned to produce for the tomb of Pope Julius II. And Moses is seated, but looking just like he might be rising from his seated position. The sculpture was regarded by the artist himself as his most lifelike creation. A friend of mine, and I wear this cross today, this is the, this is the medal of the Society of St. John the Evangelist in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I belong to the fellowship of that um, religious community of men, monks. One of them is the superior now, his name is Brother James Kester, and James wrote about this particular sculpture. He wrote, once finished. Michelangelo is reported to have struck the statue on the knee with his hammer and exclaimed, Now speak! To this day, you can still see a chip in the marble on Moses' knee where the artist's hammer is said to have hit. I witnessed it myself. I've been in front of statues in um, churches where I have wanted to yell the same thing. James goes on to write that it wasn't that he found that so curious about the image. But what drew his attention, and he found most curious about it, was that coming out of Moses's skull, James thought, were horns. Two horns. Two stubby horns emerging from Moses's head. This reminds James of the words of his Anglican Religious Order's founder, Father Benson. Father Benson wrote these words, None can come to Christ and go away as they came. Our coming to Christ changes everything. And therefore, even to the old scenes, we return with changed hearts. It is indeed a greater thing to return to the old world by a new and heavenly life and to live in the world as those who have been with Jesus than it is to enter upon new spheres of life but with that old heart. That would be to set about new things in an old way. The necessary thing for us is to set about old things in a new way. I had once read that the horns were not meant to be interpreted as horns at all, but as the remnants of the heavenly beams of light that penetrated into Moses' body from the divine himself, that reached deep into the prophet's heart and soul. What seems like the odd thing upon deeper reflection, is really meant to signify something much deeper. It's like the definition of sacrament in our catechism in the Book of Common Prayer. A sacrament is an outward, invisible sign of an inward and spiritual truth, something that you know and believe that that exemplifies a change that happens deep within you. Well, the intensity of the encounter with Moses had changed everything for him. Not only is his face shining, but in the deepest recesses of his being, the light and love of God for Moses and for the people of God by extension, re-enter into his life and render him totally transformed. Indeed, as he goes down that mountain, once again, he goes down a completely changed human being, a prophet who would fulfill the mission of God in his own life. Such is the story in our gospel text this morning. James writes this, What would it look like to live as one who had seen Jesus? What would it look like for you to live as if you have seen Jesus. Well, to take a cue from Father Benson, everything would be changed. The way we look at the world would change. The way we act would change. Even the way we make decisions would change. None can come to Christ and go away as they came. My friends, just before Jesus invited his friends to the mountaintop where he and they experienced this glorious and powerful and terrifying transfiguration, he had just told them of his impending suffering and death. I only wonder what the human heart of Jesus was holding as he shared the inevitable ending of his life among the friends he loved unconditionally. How overwhelmed by grief perhaps he was, and they were. How fearful about what was now inevitably unfolding before him and those whom he loved. Indeed, this, is, this must have felt like only an ending for him, for the human Jesus, and for the disciples, in that moment, as well. And yet we know it wasn't that at all. Jesus may well have needed his friends right beside him. Jesus may well have needed to hear his Abba's voice once again as he did at his baptism at the beginning of his public ministry, reminding him of his true and deepest identity. Like us, We need those reminders, too. And I can only believe that his friends needed to be there as well, terrified in the moment, and yet transfigured with Jesus to come down the mountain, never to be the same again. Beloveds of God, whatever it is that you are carrying in your heart this day, go up to the mountain with Jesus. Whatever it is that terrifies you and leaves you wailing or breathless or drowning in tears, tears that perhaps no one else knows you shed, take it to the mountaintop with Jesus, and there let it be transformed. Just as for Jesus himself, The transfiguration did not change the course of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem or to the cross, and it did not change the course of direction for the disciples' lives as well. There is pain, there is fear, and there is a sense of hopelessness that can and will at times seem to overtake us. That is the human journey. But what matters for us, even in the midst of our struggles, is that death does not have the final word. It did not then, and it does not now. For people of faith in Jesus Christ, the transfigured and resurrected One, we are given the very same promise. In James' words, he writes, we truly are and always have been Each and every one of us, none excluded, we are God's beloveds. And so our faces, too, will shine with the splendor and glory of God, in whose image you and I are made. God's glory shines through us, just as it did Jesus, and just as it did Moses. As I remember that pilgrimage to Rome, I know something of the miracle that began unfolding in the midst of my terror, in the midst of my doubt, my grief, and my sense of overwhelming loss. In those moments, I could only feel what I could feel, and it's good to know what you're feeling in the moment. But just as those feelings were true, In the very same moments, so in my heart, the seeds of transformation and the hope of transfiguration were also being sown. That simple prayer, Please, Jesus, help me find my way. Help me find my way back to you, has been a prayer I have prayed time and time again and I am quite sure I am not done with it yet. Each time, though, the intensity of love, the gift of the light that enlightens my way, leads me through whatever it is that overwhelms me. I had no idea what God was doing in my life as I was feeling all those feelings of loss and grief and disorientation and ending. What I can say to you is I have experienced my life as nothing short of a miracle, of a love I never thought I would find again, of hope that I never thought I would feel again, of a vocation I never actually ever said out loud I was called to embrace. But that's our faith. And that's what binds us together as the baptized body of Christ here. God is doing more for us than we can ask for or imagine possible. It is up to us to name the truth of our lives and to surrender that to God. The miracle is that God is doing more for us than we can imagine. So please, Whatever it is that is in your heart, whatever it is that terrifies you, or in any way holds you hostage, or that which terrifies you, go up to the mountain with Jesus. Leave it there. Let God do what God desires most to do for you. And then know that as you come back down that mountain, Your face radiates with the same light of the transfigured Christ. You carry that in your soul, and you carry it from this place here this morning out into a world of great darkness, great grief, and overwhelming disorientation. It is the light of Jesus Christ that we're called to bear, and God knows this world needs it so desperately. As we bear such radiance, then— May we have the courage to radiate such light and love for all of God's beloveds. And may we, too, have the courage to set about doing old things in new ways. Amen.